Welcome to Hearts and Minds. This is Maura Cassidy. For some of our listeners, poetry is something that's incomprehensible or just simply not for me. Our guest today is the British poet and writer Sally Reid. Sally didn't always get poetry. She read it without understanding. In fact, she tells us that poetry asks us to listen without struggle and the need to immediately understand. Sally's poetry has been described as profound but accessible, as fresh as early morning air and as pure as vodka, but also poetry which wrestles with and partakes of the incredible. Sally began her career as a psychiatric nurse in London, and today she's a poet in residence at the Hermitage of the Three Holy Hierarchs. Among Sally's works are Night's Bright Darkness, A Modern Conversion Story, Annunciation, A Call to Faith in a Broken World, and her most recent work, Dawn of This Hunger, a poetry collection. Sally lives with her husband and daughter in Santi Marinella outside Rome in Italy. And today she's joining us on our podcast series to talk to us about the transformative effect of poetry. Sally, you're very welcome. We're delighted to have you on our Hearts and Minds guest series. Thanks for having me. So just to start, um, as I mentioned in the introduction, Sally, you began your career as a psychiatric nurse in London. Can you tell us what led you to poetry? Well, I always loved poetry, even at school and uh, and as a child. And as you said, I, I didn't always understand it in the sense that I would read someone like Sylvia Plath and you know, take the famous poem Ariel, where she's actually riding a horse. I don't think I realized she was riding a horse until I was into my 20s, <laughs> which is shameful. But I was I was just arrested by the images and by the rhythms and about, by the music of it. And then when I became a psychiatric nurse, which I... I I chose that path because I was fascinated by people and by mental illness and because I wanted to help people. I I found that I turned to poetry as consolation because I wasn't a believer and so I didn't pray. I didn't believe in God. And what I was dealing with on the wards was so difficult in terms of illness and death that when I came home, I would uh, get a, you know, a volume of Yeats or T.S. Eliot off the bookshelves and start to read and slowly begin to write my own poetry. And I, I discovered that, you know, poetry is all about giving form to what's difficult and what's ugly. And through form, we find the beauty in things and we find the meaning in things. Mm-hmm. And so poetry, was, that so, was it something private or did it actually influence your work as a psychiatric nurse? Well, strangely enough, it began very much privately. But as I developed and as I qualified as a nurse, uh, I worked with elderly people with um, dementia and with um, depression and, and schizophrenia and illnesses like that. And I began to use poetry as therapy. And we used to have a poetry group where we read poems and discussed them. And I would encourage uh, patients to write things. And I discovered that as everybody probably knows, poetry is incredibly good at releasing emotion and helping us to understand what we're thinking and feeling. So sometimes Mm -hmm. we would, we would read aloud various things and and patients would become very angry or very upset or very touched or very happy. And it provoked all sorts of memories and and feelings that uh, we could then talk about. Hmm. And I suppose you had some victims well, of, of the Holocaust as well you were dealing with and very people with all sorts of traumas as well as a psychiatric nurse. Yeah, we did. Because um, the hospital was in North London, there was a large Jewish population and lots of uh, people who had come over as children during the Second World War. And so there was a great history in the place. It was 
it was such a, a beautiful time. And I, I'm so privileged to have known those people because they were so wonderful and they had such stories to tell and they'd suffered so much. And their parents had, had perished in the camps, you know, and they'd arrived as children. Um, they had so much to share. And although sometimes they were very ill, you know, other times they were in incredibly resilient and, and intelligent and creative and, and just, just wonderful, wonderful people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At one point in your in an interview you did, um, you talk about poetry that gives voice to what has no voice and form to what has no form. Were you referring to that in, in terms of your own patience or what, what, what were you referring to when you well, talked suppose, about that? I suppose it was kind of um, many things, really. I suppose from, from a personal perspective, um, I, I've always used poetry to make sense of my relationships. And as a young woman, <laughs> I suffered my share of heartbreak. And so I'd always turn to poetry to make sense of what was going on and to give form to what had no form at all. And, and then I think particularly of one patient that I nursed who I was really fond of, um, who was a gentleman who um, was completely mute through the trauma that he'd suffered. So he, he didn't speak at all when I first met him. And so his, his persona was just kind of a bit blank because he never spoke and there was no form to himself or his story. And, and it was through working with him as a nurse and then slowly writing about his life that I began to reach form and to understand what was going on with him. So it was about that kind of thing. And it was really truly about giving somebody a voice that, that hadn't had a voice. And so when, could you tell us, I suppose, from that point of view, what poetry meant to you as an atheist and what it meant to you now as a believer? Was it, mm -hmm. was it, was that a very different experience for you? It's a, it's a strange transition because I think as an atheist, I used poetry almost in an, um, almost as an idol. You know, I, I viewed poetry as my religion because I thought that it redeemed us and saved us. And I thought that it gave meaning. So I, I viewed it in, a, in an almost transcendent way. And, mm -hmm. and I used to turn to like the old um, pagan spells to to Bridget, who was a goddess, to, you know, almost in playfully, but I kind of believed in that weird new age stuff because I knew that poetry was about something beyond what we, what we have within us. Um, because, you know, when you write a poem, a good poem tends to come from nowhere at all. You have no idea where it comes from. And some people would say that it comes from the unconscious and some people would say that it comes from outside yourself. And I think the truth is it's a, it's a, it's a dance of the two. Um, and when I converted, I saw very clearly that poetry comes from the Holy Spirit. And, and when things, when you receive things and you write something, you'll often look back at it and think, well, how did I write that? And it isn't about you. It's about the Holy Spirit working through you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So an incredible depth, you might say, that you discovered. In your own poetry, um, you talk about this need to, or it's a, it's like an attempt to, in a way, to grasp the interconnectedness of everything. Mm -hmm. um, is that, in a sense, initially you were connecting things as you saw them, and then you, you acquired a de greater depth or a, a sort of a, a perspective outside yourself, maybe? Well, I think that um, poetry, what poetry does through metaphor, because we say things like, um, I mean, really basically, like a child might say, the sun looks like an orange because it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's circular and it's, um, and it's orange. And so when we're looking at metaphors, we're saying this is like that and that's like that. And how, and, and if, you, if you know anything about science, and I know very, very little about science mm. and mathematics, you begin to see that through the world, everything is linked you know, the way that we're formed and the colours and, and, and the forms in nature and the forms in mathematics and how music is related to maths and, um, 
and the different forms through through um, fish and birds and humans, they're all kind of connected together as like part of a huge puzzle, which some people call intelligent design. Mm. And the other thing that happened to me when I converted was that I realized that that God is is the poet, you know, that his creation is a poem. And the church specifically, with its liturgy and its prayers, is incredibly poetic. Hmm. Wow. Um, and is there any, what, what, who are your favourite poets? <laughs> well, there's still T.S. Eliot <laughs> and Yeats and Dylan Thomas and Sylvia Plath, um, Wallace Stevens, um, John Dunn. I mean, I, I presented um, a radio programme for Radio Marie England last year, actually. And it was amazing to me First of all, the, the treasure trove of Catholic poetry that we have that, that we neglect as Catholics, because especially kind of um, pre-Reformation, you know, all the poetry was very, very Catholic and very religious. Now, of course, there was a change when the Reformation happened, because all of a sudden you're seeing fewer poems about the Virgin Mary, for example, which is interesting. But poets, I say poets by their nature, are very religious. And if you look at the work of somebody like Sylvia Plath, her poems are full of references to Christ and Mary and the Eucharist, which is really quite shocking. Um, and it's almost mm. as if poets and writers, they, they can't turn their back on that. They can't turn their back on truth and they can't turn their back on the transcendent. I mean, Virginia Woolf wasn't a poet. She was a novelist, but her, her novels are extremely poetic. And when you read her novels, I mean, so many times she seems to be invoking something way beyond herself. It, it's she's she's far from the material world, you know. She really does kind of bring in things that are that are divine into her work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the poet almost, you know, as you say, goes to the orange origins of things all the time. A real yeah, poet, yeah. And look at look at Yeats. I mean, Irish and and you know, very strange relationship with religion, but he was always going into um, automatic writing and what he called the spiritus mundi, which is like the spirit of the world. He knew that there was something spiritual in what he was doing. And it's incredibly common with writers, even if they say that they're atheists or that they say that they're not, you know, formally mm -hmm. religious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was interesting, I was watching something on C.S. Um, Lewis just over the Christmas. And um, I didn't realise that he was such a lover of Yeats and that Yeats' question, but what if? actually led him from the space of an atheist to a believer, which I thought was quite mm -hmm. interesting. Um, for those of us who don't appreciate poetry, or as I said at the outset, don't get it, um, what would steps would you suggest to take? I would suggest that you don't worry about understanding. Mm -hmm. For instance, when you listen to a piece of music, you don't worry about understanding when you listen to Tchaikovsky or Mozart, you don't sit there and think, oh, but I'm not sure, you know, what key that is, or was that a change in harmony? Mm. <laughs> you know, you just let it wash over you. And it's the same with poetry. You don't have to worry about, oh, I'm not exactly sure what that means, because the poet is always working to provoke something in your emotion and in your unconscious. So let yourself, just let yourself feel and let yourself let your mind's eye see what's going on. And the other thing is that when Catholics say, well, I don't like poetry, you know, I have to laugh because the whole of the faith is based on poetry. Because the Bible is, 
you know, chunks of poetry um, in the Bible and prayers are often poetry. The liturgy is very poetic. So we're used to language being very seductive and language being very metaphorical and analogous in our faith. So we're, we're more used to it than we think. Hmm. And say, for example, to some of our listeners who may not be, you know, in the Catholic tradition, as it were, or journeying, what would you say to them, um, you know, in terms of how poetry can open up that transcendent or that spiritual space? Yeah, well, I think it's true of, of any of any faith or any believer is that words are are so important for our understanding of the world. And as I say, beauty is so connected to faith because when we talk about faith and we're talking about God, we're talking about a creator and we're talking about creation. And when things are given form, they are, they're beautiful and they're good, as, as Keats said in a different way. So what I would say is, um, you know, let yourself experience poetry as a way of, of connecting with God, just as you might connect with God through listening to music. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Is there any question, Sally, you would like to ask yourself that I haven't asked? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? It's complicated being a poet. And um, I've just published my first poetry book in, in 10 years, actually. Wow. And what happened was after I converted, I started to write about my conversion and I wanted to, I wanted to tell people about it. And so I began to write in prose and I had such a great response from people for my prose writing. It was very seductive because as a poet, often you'll write and people will think, oh gosh, I'm not sure if I understand it. But as a, as a prose writer, people are like, wow, you know, I love your story and I love the way mm. you told it. And it's much more, it's much more accessible to people. So for a long time, I almost turned my back on poetry, except for I was writing poems for the Hermitage, which is, um, the Hermitage is uh, where my, my, my spiritual guide um, lives in Canada. He's a hermit. And so I was writing poems for him, but just kind of very casually and, and never looking to kind of create a collection or to create a book. And then all of a sudden, after 10 years, I realized that I had this book. So I suppose I have a tortuous relationship with myself as a poet. Because part of me thinks, oh, you know, I'd like to re I'd like to write a murder mystery and make lots of money. <laughs> That's the truth. But ultimately, I I can't turn my back on being a poet because the way that I approach writing is is as a poet. I see images and I see metaphor in everything. And even when I'm writing, for instance, when I when I wrote Night's Bright Darkness, which is the story of my conversion. It's very poetic, like it's structured like a poem, even though it's very accessible. So I am a poet, and what can I say? Mm. Um, but my hope is that people will um, will be able to just enjoy the poems, which which are not difficult. You know, they're just they're just beautiful, and they're about Jesus, and they're about Mary, and they're about stories that we know from the Bible, and mm -hmm. and they're just written with a true love of uh, of creation and of God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can I ask um, Salina that I've asked you to ask an unasked question? Um, when you talk about metaphor, you know, you talk very passionately about metaphor and image, almost like as if it's your way of communicating. Why is it so important that we have metaphor and image, you think, mm -hmm. in life? Because um, it's about deepening our understanding of something. You know, like if you say, um, I have a pain, 
um, well, if my daughter says I have a pain in my stomach, you know, what's the first thing I say? I say, well, is it like, is it like someone jabbing you with a needle, mm. <laughs> you know, or is it like someone grinding you with a fist? I mean, that's an extreme example maybe, but, but there's truth in it because by saying it's like something, it enhances our understanding. And when we're talking about anything in the world, if we say it's like something, we're contextualizing it and we're showing its place in the world. And, and in Night's Bright Darkness, I talk about how after my conversion, my, my little girl was in the garden and she was, she was doing some crayon rubbings on the back of dry leaves. And the crayon rubbings were, they looked exactly like fish. Because if you look at a leaf, you've got the vein, which is like the fish bone, the back, and then you've got the, like the bones coming off the side. So this leaf looked like a fish. And in my own mind, I was reading Thomas Aquinas and the Ladder of Being. And I was imagining like all these things joining together, going through man and then all the way up to the angels. And all of that is very real. And all of that is done on purpose by, by an intelligent creator. And by understanding what we are like, we can, we can begin to understand more about ourselves and, and give meaning. Um, and it's also incredibly important in the faith because, you know, we see how we are like Jesus and we can see how we are like God. You know, we are, we are made in his image. Image is just incredibly important. Hmm. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, can I ask, would you do us the great pleasure of reading one of your poems? Yes. Now, what would you like? <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to leave that up to you. Okay. Well, I tell you what I'll do. I'll read you, first of all, glasses on. Um, I'll read you Annunciation. Okay. The girl's so still, a clutch of starlings might roost in her. Her thirteen years and more are recollected in his gaze, as the purple blue of rosemary is lost in what is happening. Steady as earth she is, and soft, like turf penetrated by deep hooks of roots. How he watched her from the empty dawn of before all time. No gunshot would startle that stillness or even make the birds around her fly. A prayer deep enough for God himself to tread as though she were earth and he the weightless footfall unused to gravity and human flesh, sighing into her consent. Wow, that's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Yes, that leaves an impact. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just, I suppose, um, well, for, to say thank you, Sally, for sharing um, all those incredible thoughts, ideas and inspirations. Um, for any of us, any of our listeners out there who are sort of scribbling on the back of newspapers or have a little journal hidden under their pillow with little snippets of words, would, how would you encourage them to maybe develop that? I would say always read. It's very important. When I, when I was in my early 20s, I was writing um, a bit like Keats. Well, not like Keats, <laughs> nowhere, mm -hmm. nowhere near that good, but I was trying to write like Keats. And then my brother and, and a boyfriend of mine would started saying, you know what? You've got to start reading contemporary poetry. <laughs> You've got to start understanding what's going on. And, um, 
it, there's truth in that. You know, we don't, artists and poets don't exist in a vacuum. And you've got to understand what's going on around you and the tradition and then position yourself and kind of know um, the resonance of what you're saying. Know, know about, is an image cliched? Has that been said a hundred times before? You know, mm. because poetry is all about making it new. Um, so I would say read and read and read. And then if you really want help, then, you know, you can approach a poet and go on a writing course and get some feedback. And, and if anybody ever wants to contact me, I've got a website called sallyreed.net. So Sally Reed is R-E-A-D dot net. And you can contact me there and send me poems and I'll always be happy to say something. <laughs> Super. That'd be absolutely, I'm sure maybe some people might take you up on that. Yeah. Um, just to finish, Sally, just as a curious question myself, but is poetry for you almost like something you have to do? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think more broadly, it's writing that I have to do because um, I've just finished actually writing something else. Um, it's a bit longer, there's prose and I have the same passion for writing prose as I do poetry. But I think for me, the line between the two is very indistinct because my prose is very poetic. Mm. Um, so yeah, I have to, it's just, I, I don't, I don't feel properly alive unless I'm writing something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I suppose they say, well, poets are philosophers. They tell us the whys. We're so busy doing the what's and the how's that our poets are asking us, look up yeah, and ask yeah. why yeah. every so often. So, um, hopefully we'll do a little bit more of that. Um, and I'm sure many of our listeners will be reaching for those collections you mentioned earlier in the, in the introduction. Um, any parting words, Sally? No, but thank you very much for having me. And and all of this hunger is available. Absolutely. <laughs> from, from Second Spring in the UK or uh, Angelico Press in the States or Amazon. Perfect. Well, um, just to say to our listeners, um, we'll be putting all the links that Sally mentioned, included her website and her various publications at the end of this podcast so that you can go there and purchase and buy and read and be inspired. So Sally, just to say thank you. Thank you for your time. I know you are a busy poet and a busy writer and a busy mum and a busy wife. So um, don't take your time for granted. And um, many thanks. And thank you to our listeners for listening and look forward to touching base again soon. 